Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19. And this is a fairly familiar psalm to most of us here. And uh, while we're only going to be focusing our attention this morning on the first six verses, I do want us to make sure that we see the singular focus of the psalm. And that singular focus is God's revelation to man. Now many theologians, they've termed the the two ways that God reveals Himself to man as the two books of Revelation. There is the book of nature and there is the book of Scripture. And we see this division in our Psalm today, the book of nature we see in our passage this morning in verses 1 to 6, and then the book of Scripture we will look at this evening in verses 7 through 11. And so it's to this first book, the book of nature, to what's known as general revelation that we will focus our attention So hear now the word of the Lord from Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day other speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath He set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and His circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hidden from the heat thereof. Thus far, the reading of God's Word, let us ask His blessing upon it. Holy Father, we do ask that You would add a blessing to the reading of this Word. We trust in Your promise that when the Word goes forth, it never returns void. And so, Lord, we ask that You would make this Word effectual in us this morning. And Lord, now as we approach the proclamation and preaching of this Word, I ask, Lord, that I would diminish so that Christ Jesus would be magnified. That the proclamation of this Word would go forth and be received as the very Word of God. That You would bless this preaching of the Word and make it effectual in our hearts to conform us more and more after the image of Your Son. So, Lord, my plea to You this morning is that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today, in both the morning and the evening services, we're going to be 
looking at these two types of God's revelation to us. And so this morning we are looking at uh, the book of nature, or what's called general revelation. So what is general revelation? This is likely not a term that you use in your everyday speech, but it's an important one theologically. Very simply put, general revelation is that which man may know of God apart from Scripture because it's been revealed in creation. It's what man may know of God apart from Scripture because it's been made known in creation. Well, I've had the pleasure of traveling around to many different places. I've had conversations about some of my travels with some of you here. And uh, in these different places and in these different climates, I've seen many different things. I'm from Alabama. You may not be able to tell because I've masked my accent, but I can be Southern. Um, but in Alabama, I, we have a lot of woods. We have a lot of trees. And so I'm very familiar with the woods. But that's very different from other places. I've been to the heights of the Sierra Nevada mountains. There are no trees up there. I've gazed out over the valley and I've seen the rolling hills at the foothills of those mountains. But I've also stood in a foot of Pennsylvania snow during a winter. I've seen the amber waves of grain in Kansas. I've walked the white sand beaches of the Gulf of Mexico. I've even lived in the harsh desert of Iraq. One thing that uh, amazes me about all of these different places and all of these varying environments is that our God created all of this. The varying degrees, the different atmosphere or climates, the different environments, the ecosystems. God created it all. And so looking at all of these things, I was able to develop and gain a greater appreciation for the Lord and who He is as Creator and Sustainer of all things. Well, that got me thinking, which is scary. We rarely hear sermons preached on the beauty and importance of God revealing Himself in creation. We hear sermons all the time about the written Word, about the primacy of the Word, about the inerrancy and infallibility and the sufficiency of the Word. And, and don't get me wrong, Preaching on the nature of the written Word is vitally important. We must do it, especially in our day and age where so many people are attacking and questioning the Scripture in regards to its inerrancy and authority. But we must be sure not to highlight the important doctrine of special revelation, how God has revealed Himself in the Word, to the neglect of the doctrine of general revelation. 
That which is revealed through all creation is just as inerrant and authoritative as the Word of God because it has the same source. Our covenant God makes Himself known to us through this book of nature. And so this is general revelation. And so here in our text this morning, we see general revelation spoken of. And we see it spoken of in two ways. First, we see the proclamation of creation. And then next, we see the presentation of creation. The proclamation of of creation and the presentation of creation. So let us first turn our attention to the proclamation of creation. So read with me once again uh, the first four verses. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Well, here the psalmist focuses on three aspects of God that is proclaimed in His creation. And so we see that creation proclaims the wonder of God. We see this in verse 1, at the beginning of verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. Even though David only mentions the heavens, it's clear from this text that he's referring to all of creation. Creation itself shows forth the attributes of God. God is infinite, eternal, immutable, self-sufficient, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, good, loving, wise, faithful, merciful, gracious, holy, just, and glorious. And this is what creation is proclaiming. It's proclaiming who God is. Every sun ray that shines down upon the earth tells us something about God. Every tree on this planet shows forth the person of God. Every animal that roams our land displays the splendor of God. So think with me for a second. What of the wonder and glory of God do the birds display? Have you thought of that? Well, they display His goodness and love and the graciousness. And we know this because the Word of God says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither do they gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? The birds themselves show us the caring, uh, gracious, loving nature of God who provides for our needs. Or what about the crashing of the waves of the sea? What does that tell us of God? Well, it tells us of His omnipotence. His all-powerful nature as the One who separated the sea from the dry land. And the One 
who has the power over them, even over the wind and the waves, so that they obey the word of His voice. What of the galaxies that are far off in the seemingly endless expanse of the cosmos? Well, they speak of His omnipresence, His his presence everywhere, and His infinitude, His not having a beginning or an end. And they display this because He is sustaining all things, both here where we are, and even at the remotest part of the universe. Scientists think that there is no beginning or end of the universe. Uh, There's no calculatable end of it. But that's not true. It's simply a reflection of the fact that the Lord of all creation, the one who created the universe, has no beginning or end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end Himself. And so, looking to these examples, do you now see more clearly the wonder of God proclaimed in all creation? But it's not simply the wonder of God in creation. It is also the work of God that is displayed in creation. And we see this in the latter half of verse 1. The firmament showeth His handiwork. The very work of God's hands is proclaimed through the, work, through the fruit of that work. Now you may be sitting there thinking, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, creation proclaims God's handiwork. It's the work of His hands. That makes sense. And you'd be right. It is simple. But creation proclaims so much more of God's handiwork than simply He as Creator. What does the snow falling in perfect white blankets proclaim concerning God's handiwork? Well, that pure white snow proclaims the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing power of God to remove the stain of sin and to make you white as snow. Psalm 51 verse 7 says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What of the leaves of the plants? What do they proclaim of the work of God? Well, they, do they not declare the work of God in covering our nakedness and, and hiding our shame just as He did with our first parents, Adam and Eve? Everything around you in this world proclaims the Lord's handiwork. It proclaims what He has done in acts of creation and providence and how He has worked to bring about salvation for His people. Do you see the work of God proclaimed in all creation? Creation proclaims the wonder of God and the work of God, and now creation proclaims the Word of God. Creation speaks, but it's not in an audible way. The testimony of God comes by way of the glory of God being shown forth in this world. 
Verse 2 says, Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. Creation speaks. The continual aspect of the language of this verse speaks to the never-ending proclamation of the Word of God in creation. The Hebrew phrase that's here translated uttereth has in it the thought of of pouring out. It's as a fountain that's flowing forever and ever the Lord's praise. This proclamation of the Word of God continues in verses 3 and 4. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. This proclamation of creation goes out to all people, to all places, in all languages, in all tongues, to all tribes. Calvin writes, different nations differ from each other as to language, but the heavens have a common language to teach all men without distinction. Nor is there anything but their own carelessness to hinder even those who are most strange to each other and who live in the most distant parts of the world from profiting, as it were, at the mouth of the same teacher. The same word that goes out to you in creation is the very same word that goes out in China in creation and in Brazil in creation and in Russia in creation. Creation speaks in a universal language and all people understand it but not all people receive it. There is not one square inch in all of the created universe in which the Word of God is not proclaimed throughout creation and is not heard. But this proclamation of creation is not enough. It's insufficient in itself. It doesn't reveal the totality of what man is to know of God and of salvation. It's sufficient only to condemn. Romans 1 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it to them for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly Seen, being understood by all things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and change the glory of the incorruptible God to the image made like corruptible man into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Man is without excuse. Creation has so made God known to all men that He is without excuse. There's no such thing as an atheist. Everyone who looks upon creation knows that there is a Creator. There is no such thing as an atheist. Charles Spurgeon 
puts it in the only way Charles Spurgeon can when he says, He who looks up at the firmament and then writes himself down an atheist brands himself at the same moment as an idiot and a liar. It's so true. Only a fool would look at this created order and say there is no God. Only a fool would deny the evidence that is right in front of him. Man in his natural state only knows enough about God as revealed in creation to damn him to hell. And this is why we cannot neglect special revelation. This is why we need the Word. This is why the primacy is placed on the written Word. Because that is where the way of salvation is made known. Creation can't tell you the magnitude of your sins, but the Word can. Creation can't tell you your need for a Savior, but the Word can. Creation can't tell you to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. But the Word can. If you're here today and you are not trusting in Christ, I plead with you to heed the testimony of all creation and to hear the call of the Lord from His Word. Repent and believe the Gospel. Because if you don't, then on that last day, on that great day of judgment, the Lord will call upon even creation itself to testify as a witness against you. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that, dear friends, that is the proclamation, not just of creation, but of God Himself. Well, at the ver- end of verse 4, David makes a shift from speaking of the proclamation of creation to now speaking of the presentation of creation. And here we get a glimpse of the beauty of creation through the use of poetic language. The end of verse 4 reads, In them, in the, in the uh, heavens, hath he set a tabernacle for the sun. This section focuses on the sun. And he does this with a purpose. Because here in this text, the sun points to the universality of general revelation. Going out to all places. And we'll get to that universality towards the end of our passage. The psalmist speaks of the sun symbolizing all of general revelation. Revelation. And he speaks of it in two different similes. He uses the, the comparison of a bridegroom and of a runner. And so first, let's look at the bridegroom. David says, In them in the heavens hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Here we see a bit of the beauty of of general revelation, of this book of nature. If you've been married, if you've gone through a wedding ceremony, you get a sense of this beauty. Men who are married, do you remember that time when you came out of that room 
when you first laid eyes on your bride. And it was the greatest moment that you've ever experienced. Because you've seen beauty in a far greater way than you've ever experienced before. That's what he's talking about here. And there's this longing anticipation that builds up as the bridegroom is leaving his chamber to go to his bride. And it's not just a, a longing that, that he gets to see his bride, but it's a longing of, of the consummation of this relationship. This, this union is coming to a head. And so it is with general revelation going forth as, as the rays of the sun go forth. They long to be joined with those who rightly receive it and, and they bear fruit. These sun rays, they go out, they're received by the earth and then it brings forth a harvest. And this image is what we see of general revelation as well. The Word goes forth, it's received and it brings forth a harvest. And this image is also a picture of Christ and the church. That great bridegroom and his bride, the church. The light of the sun goes out in the morning with its activity and it communicates life and happiness to all things around it. And like a bridegroom dressed in his wedding attire, going from his chamber to be with his bride in a like manner, Christ, who's the promised bridegroom, visits his church and he's clothed himself. And He clothes the church in that robe of righteousness which the Holy Scripture refers to as a marriage garment. Do you see how this general revelation going out as a bridegroom is just simply a picture of Christ coming to the church? Do you see how beautiful that is? But the other comparison that we get is that of a runner. Our text reads that uh, the sun rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. This general revelation of God goes forth and it does not return void. It serves its purpose. It always serves its purpose. It always does its job. The strong man is conscious and and confident of his own strength, and he promises to himself victory and the glory that attends to it. And so he sets upon his work with great pleasure. When a runner goes out and runs a race, just as he is trained, just as he's supposed to do, he rejoices in it. He's fulfilled his purpose. And the runner runs in a race with a sense of urgency, with a sense of responsibility. He has a job that he has to do, and he has to do it to the best of his abilities. And we see that this is what the Son does in Ecclesiastes 1.5. He has this sense of urgency. It has this sense of responsibility. And so David is drawing on this imagery to show that the Word goes out with a sense of urgency with a sense of responsibility. Creation proclaiming the Word of God never fails in its duty. It goes forth continually, day after day, 
Because it has a purpose. And it gladly goes out day after day because that is the purpose for which God created it. And this purpose is accomplished in a universal way. told you we would get back to the universality of general revelation. And so continuing the illustration of the Son, the psalmist goes on to say, His going forth is from the end of the heaven in circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hidden from the heat thereof. There's nothing on earth which does not feel the effects of the sun in some sense, either by light or heat or radiation. The sun breaks through into everything. I don't know if you've ever been into the depths of a cavern or a cave to where there's absolutely no sunlight coming in and it's pitch black. But even there, where the sun's light may not break through, the sun's heat does. Otherwise, you would die. There's nowhere on this earth that the sun does not penetrate. And remember that the sun is simply an illustration for general revelation. So if it's true of creation itself, if it's true that the sun goes forth and breaks through into every aspect of this world, then it must be true of general revelation. It must be true of that which creation proclaims. There's nothing to which that, gener- that, that revelation of God does not penetrate. That revelation of God goes forth into the very heart, into the very core of every human being on this planet. And just as the sun penetrating into all the earth has varying effects based on what it reaches, so too does general revelation. The same sun that melts the snow after a winter storm hardens the clay after a spring rain. The same sun that causes the crops to grow, producing food for the earth, causes the fields to rage and burn from its heat. There's no escaping the heat of the sun, and so there is no escaping the heat of revelation. There will come a day when all men will be held accountable for their lives. And as we already saw earlier in Romans 1, the attributes of God are plainly manifest for all to see so as to leave no man excused. The general revelation that goes forth throughout all the earth will serve either to melt the heart of stone, softening man to the gospel, or hardening the heart so as to have man rebel more and more against the truth that he already knows. The general revelation of God will either cause the seed of faith to grow, bearing the fruit of the Gospel in man's life, or it will ravage man as a wildfire, causing death and destruction to those who are, out, who are not outside of His wrath. Immediately after Paul's explanation of general revelation rendering man without excuse, he writes, of the end result in Romans 2. 
unless they are warned, they will never know the truth. Unless they're warned, they cannot know of the judgment that is coming. And so this is your duty, believer. You have a responsibility to go out and to warn those of this world who are blinded by their sin and they can't see the wrath to come. You, are, you have a duty to warn them of that wrath. You have a duty to proclaim salvation to those who are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. So what are you doing to fulfill that responsibility? Here in the city of Colorado Springs, there are nearly 500,000 people. What are you doing to reach them for the Gospel? The day is coming when they will no longer be warned. The day is coming when your voice will no longer be heard by this world. The day is coming when unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire and feel the immense heat of the revelation that they have rejected. But that day is not come yet. There is still hope for those who are not of us. Until that day comes, until that great day of judgment comes, you have the responsibility to proclaim the Gospel, to warn people of the wrath to come, to call them unto repentance. Do not neglect such a great responsibility. Now, I know that a doctrine like general revelation can sometimes be uh, simply a topic of theological discussion, something for us to pontificate over. And so there must be some practicality to it. Doctrine must lead to doxology. Orthodoxy must lead to orthopraxy. Or to put it in simple terms, what is true must impact what you do. So I want us to leave here with five practical truths of this great doctrine. Five practical truths of the doctrine of, revelation, of general revelation. First, creation is a source of comfort for us. Creation is a source of comfort for us. And this is because the God who made all things, who created the sun and the moon and the stars, the God who planted every plant and causes the wind and the rains to come, He is sovereign over all things. The sovereignty of God is a source of comfort. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign hand. This general revelation tells us this. It tells us of the sovereignty of God. We just have to have ears to hear what it has to say. And so, brothers and sisters, be comforted by the God who is sovereign over all things. And not just that. Creation should cause us to wonder at God. That's the second point of practical application Creation should cause us to wonder at God. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Oh, the wonder of our God.
covenant with God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Think about creation. Our sun is 93 million miles away. The farthest star in the Milky Way galaxy from us is over 75,000 light years away. And that's just our own galaxy. It's estimated that there are over 2 trillion galaxies in the observable universe. And guess what? God is greater than all of that. Because He is the one who made the observable universe. He is the one who created all things. This is our God. He is our Creator. And it's not just the vast expanse of the universe that ought to cause us to wonder, but even the small things, every single aspect of creation, the ant working ought to bring you to glory your God. The beauty of the leaves on the trees ought to cause you to wonder at God. Creation ought to strike in us a sense of wonder for who God is and His mighty works. Third point of practical application. General revelation affects how we do apologetics. No, that's a fancy word. Apologetics is simply defending your faith. It's answering questions concerning about Christian doctrine. If this doctrine of general revelation is true, then we have the consciences of men on our side. Every man innately knows that there is a God and we can use that knowledge against them. There's something within man that can be brought to the surface and used against his own attempts at dismantling the faith. Most people know right and wrong. They have a natural moral compass. They already know the Ten Commandments even if they can't tell you what they are because the nature has revealed it to them. God has written the law on every man's heart. And so there's something there that can be utilized in defending the faith. Appeal to the conscience. Make the person say that they don't actually know what it is that they're talking about. Show them to be the fool that they actually are. Show them that they don't actually believe the blasphemies that they are saying are true. And then once you've done that, Give them the Gospel. Show them what is true. And so this brings up our fourth point of application. General revelation affects how we do evangelism and missions. If we don't tell people about Jesus, they won't know the way of salvation. We've already seen the general revelation reveals enough of the attributes and characteristics of God that man is left without excuse. And so we know that they need the Word of God proclaimed. You may find yourself in a situation where you will have to say something. Where you will have to share the Gospel of Jesus Christ with someone because if they don't hear it from you, then they may never know. 
And so, trust in the Lord and the proclamation of the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We should all be sharing the Gospel with those around us. This doctrine of general revelation ought to affect how we do it. Whether locally or globally, knowing that without the proclamation of the Gospel, man is utterly without hope. And finally, we should be thankful that we are not left without with simply general revelation. We should be thankful that we are not left with just general revelation. We need something more. General revelation is insufficient for faith and life. We can't just end at verse 6 in Psalm 19 and neglect what follows. General revelation must be accompanied by special revelation. And thank God that He has given us special revelation. So the question for all of us here today, myself included, do you love the law of the Lord? Do you love His Word? Do you meditate on His law day and night? Do you realize that without it, you would be just like everyone else, lost and condemned by the insufficiency of the knowledge of general revelation? Do you thank the Lord that He has given you His Word? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And be thankful that you are not left with just general revelation but that you know the way of salvation in Christ Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, as you look upon the trees and the birds, the moon and the stars, as the rain falls and the wind howls, as the heat of the sun reaches your skin, remember that this creation is a means by which God is revealing Himself to you. Never lose sight of His wonder and works and word proclaimed in His creation. Never cease to be amazed at the beauty and strength of how creation is presented to you. And always remember that this truth of general revelation has a direct impact on how you live your life as you walk out of these doors. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be driven by all of God's revelation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You that You have revealed Yourself both in creation and more importantly and especially in Your Word. That You have not left us in our ignorance of salvation, but that You have made it known to us in Christ Jesus. So Lord, as we depart from this place, we ask that You would instill in us a, a wonder and awe at the amazement, an amazement at the, at the beauty of Your creation and how You are revealing Yourself to us in it. Let us depart from this place with a renewed understanding and appreciation for who You are and what You have done for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.